Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The Links and Locks Podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to Links and Locks, Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. I'm your host, Roberto Arguello of Action Network, and I'll be joined every Wednesday here by my co-hosts, Spencer Aguiar and Nick Bretwish. Today, we'll be previewing the course at the Butterfield Bermuda Championship and covering a wrap-up from last week, a little course preview, our best bets, outrights, matchups, place bets, and any other exotic bets. We actually have a cut this week, so maybe we'll get into some miscut placement bets as well. First off, we'll look back at last week, the favorite Rory McIlroy won, which means we're probably not going to hit on outrights if the favorite wins, unfortunately. Our outright streak stopped at one. On my outrights, none of them hit. I lost 0.87 units there. But on my place bets, our man Jason Day came through with a top 20 at plus 200. So that was nice. I added a matchup play to my card during the podcast last week. You guys were both on Tommy Fleetwood to beat Adam Hadwin, I believe. And Tommy Fleetwood finished top five. So nice call by you guys on Tommy Fleetwood. Glad I piggybacked on top of that. And I also took an L on Sung J.M. to be top Asian. A few other players beat him and don't fade Tom Kim. Just don't do it. So I was down fifth of a unit last week. So not a lot of, a lot of, not a lot of damage done, but looking forward to this week. Guys, how was last week for you? Yeah, I'll kick us off. Really only had four bets. It was Tommy Fleetwood to win, Jordan Spieth to win. Man, Jordy did not show up at all. That was a dead ticket after, I don't know, nine holes on Thursday. Shane Lowry to win. No dice there. Tommy Fleetwood was very close, so that was a ticket I probably liked the most. But the matchup that Spencer talked about last week, Fleetwood over Hadwin, only at minus 110 on most shops last week before tee-off and everything like that. He he crushed that. Fleetwood was awesome, played a ton of them in DFS as well. John Rahm was who I was looking. I, I hope he got out of the gate pretty slow. He did, and I got a 22 to 1 live number, Ooh. and he was all over it Sunday and just kind of slowed down there on the back nine. So I would do it 10 times out of 10. He was my favorite golfer going into the week. He still is red hot, just didn't really have the the closing speed we wanted out of our horse, John Rahm, there on Sunday. But overall, it was plus 0.09 units. Would have been great if John Rahm got across there at the live number of 22 to 1. I did put a half a unit on that, but it was very heavy Fleetwood overhead when my model agreed with Spencer's in a great deal there. But other than that, it was a, it was a great tournament. I was very excited to watch all those good players. It was great to have another screen up with football on Sunday, just having some great golf, especially when Rory and John Rahm and kind of Tommy Fleetwood were in the mix. But overall, it was a really good tournament, really good watch. Cannot say the same about that this week. But Spencer, I'll kick it over <laughs> to you, man. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously, when we hit the head-to-head play, that salvages a lot of the weekend. Like, from what I had recommended on the show, I had an outright card where Fleetwood and Wise kept 
themselves close in the tournament. You know, Aaron Wise was a golfer, and I, I continue to say this. I think that he is going to be a value until we get a number adjustment on him. I just hope that it doesn't reach the point to where it becomes unbettable because we've seen that a lot with guys like Will Zalatoris or, you know, whoever else you want to name down in that mix where they become really good players. They're not winning tournaments and you kind of can't get to the window on them. It's like the Tony Finau problem that came into play for all those years. So I'm going to keep looking to back wise in these golf tournaments. I thought Fleetwood was a really good spot in a no cut tournament where he had more upside than presented itself on the board. And, you know, we took him on against Hadwin. I said, I think on the show, Hadwin's going to come somewhere between 30th and 45th place. I think he came in 49th place at the end of the day. So it was kind of one of those spots where there was very little win equity in my model for Hadwin. And with it being a no cut event, I was looking for as much upside as I could find at the end of the day. And Fleetwood kind of fit into that mold. Like, unfortunately, my in tournament bets went south on me. I think there was a lot of days of fading, you know, Andrew Putnam, Maverick McNeely, Seamus Power. All of those guys went in reverse on the weekend. And I got back some of the units on them, but it's one of those things where I think I was on the right side. There was a lot of chipping in from those players. And unfortunately, when that happens and I am so heavy against somebody and they continue to win their matchups, it kind of goes south in that direction. But like, I'm very aggressive with the stances I take. If I am against somebody, I'm going to try to find a way to be against them every single time I get my model continues to think that And when I'm for somebody, I'm going to continue to back them as long as my model continues to believe that that's the case. And, you know, it's one of those things where, I think for the show, it was fine. I think from an actual betting card, I lost a little bit less than a unit, but I'm kind of excited about this tournament. We talked about a little bit off the air. I think it's an okay outright betting card. We'll get to some of those names in a little bit, but I kind of like the value that's presenting itself. So last week, 15 of the top 20 players in the world were in the field in South Carolina. This week, none of the top 20. In fact, the highest ranked player in the field is Seamus Power, a guy we discussed quite a bit on this on this podcast. And we're going to talk about him a little bit later today. One of my favorite segments on any action podcast is in the BBOC, Big Bets on Campus, when Stucky goes into the dumpster and he goes dumpster diving, looking for ugly teams like maybe a UMass or a UConn to cover a two, three touchdown spread. It's ugly. And sometimes you dive in the dumpster, you end up with a bunch of trash, but sometimes you might find a little gold in there. And this week, we're going to try to find some big number gold for you this week in an event that some people might not think is the best on tour. It's definitely not the best on tour. May, might be one of the worst. Strength of the field, not great. Guys, let's start with some best bets. Nick, want to get us going with what you feel most confident about in Bermuda. One of the only plays I have punched at the moment is CT Pan Top 40. It is out there at a couple sports books at plus 125. Seems like most of the market is closer to even money. My model's got him at minus 115 there. He's an excellent ball striker. Really good around the green, which is something I waited a lot this week. Par 5 scoring is actually surprisingly very well. Obviously, he's going to be a guy that's better on a shorter course. Fine in the wind. And just overall, I'm just going to ride the ball striking here for CT Pan. And number grab at plus 125 for a guy that will finish top 18th in my model. And looking at Spencer's, it looks like he agrees that there is some upside there. Maybe not as high on CT Pan, but but again, I just had a very hard time finding value unless I'm taking six, seven outrights. And that's just something I'm not going to do on a weekly basis. Spencer, how about you? I kind of like the CT Pan play. As Nick alluded to, he has a positive trajectory in my model for upside. I think that that's always something to look into, but I'll throw one back at you, Nick. If you like CT pan, I kind of like Michael Gligich this week. I think there's a lot of ways that you can get exposure to him. 
maybe that's as a top 40 bet, but I'm going to go a different route. So I saw very little in the head-to-head market that intrigued me this week. Sometimes you get these little quality fields that are great for betting, but other times, you know, books start limiting what's available because of the inferior competitor list. I do believe a lot of that came into play here where most shops play things exceptionally close to the vest, probably to avoid getting burned. But what I'm going to do with that is I'm going to go a different route and I'm going to split a standard bet into two separate wagers to get my exposure to Michael Gligich this week. So the first will be 0.60 units on Michael Gligich to come top 52 over on bet 365 at minus 120. I think Gligich's metrics have been extremely strong over the past few months, even without many notable results. And he's one of only three players to grade inside the top 30 of this field when it came to par three, four, and five scoring. When you add that to the first place grade in ball striking and weighted proximity, I do believe there's real potential for safety to go along with some of that upside. And then I'm going to jump back into a wager involving him and take 0.50 units and place it on him to be the top Canadian golfer in the field at plus 170. That's going to be against Nick Taylor and David Hearn. There's not a massive disparity between Taylor and Gligich, but my model does believe the wrong man is favored. It's not to say also that Hearn can't turn back the clock here at a venue that he's come 39th, 8th, and 8th over the past three tries, but the recent form has shifted him to 1,343rd in the world. You know, when you get into the 1,000s, it's never a good thing, and we haven't seen him tee it up since the Utah Championship on the Corn Ferry Tour in August, an event where he missed the cut. I think books have given him more equity than proper since the course history does look solid. And then Taylor still remains one of the most overrated commodities for me on the board, really no matter how I want to shake things. It's kind of a weird way for me to get exposure to my golfer this week, but I prefer this route than going against a particular golfer involving Gligich. I I thought most of his matchups on the legal front looked fair. So, you know, I I think Bet365 is offering a bunch of potential value by having him be top Canadian and become top 52 in this tournament. I like the creativity there. I'll echo you guys in that my best bet this week is not an outright play. And I'm going to go with Kevin Yu top 20 at plus 333 at bet365. I'm going to do this for a quarter unit. If you might not be familiar with Kevin Yu, he's a guy who graduated off the top 25 on the Corn Ferry Tour last year. And he played in one PGA Tour tournament that's similar to this one uh, at the Puerto Rico Open. And he finished in a tie for seventh so far this year in his short PGA Tour career. He's played three times and he's made the cut all three times. And he had a top 20 at the Shriners, but most importantly, he's gained at least four shots on the field with his ball striking in each event. So he's sizzling with the ball striking. I like that a lot this week when there might be some winds, rain, or a lot of both in the forecast. I like that he's coming in with some good form. The putter has been a liability for him, but hopefully on some of these slower Bermuda greens, especially if the rain slows it down, that'll help him out a little bit. And I like that he is rested. He hasn't played this since the, he hasn't played since the Shriners. So he's not one of those guys who played in Vegas, then went to Japan and then flew all the way back to South Carolina. So I think he's in a good spot where he's picked his spots to excel this week in what's a weaker field. Consider betting him outright, but that putter gives me a little bit of hesitation. So I'll play him at top 20 at bet 365 plus 333. I do worry a little bit that, you know, some of the, numbers that you're getting from you is maybe a, you know, a product of short-term returns inflating his win equity, but the weighted par three places him seventh and he's number one this year for golfers in strokes gain off the tee. 
Maybe that's something that's going to shift this week since my model is overanalyzing a few starts, but I do like him to win this tournament at hundred to one. That's a bet I took on mm. bet three, six, five. And I do believe that you're probably going the right route. there, trying to get a top 20 on him. I think there's enough upside where I don't know if you want to play him for those like safety type things. Like, I don't know if I trust him in a matchup. I don't know if I necessarily trust him as a top 40 wager, but if I'm shooting for the moon and I'm going to trust the data that I have on him, I like that route of trying to bet him to win this tournament or trying to maybe go the safer route, if you want to call it that, of him as a top 20. But then you get the price that you get where it makes it worthwhile. So I like that bet, Roberto. I was trying to figure out different ways to get exposure. The way I went was the 100 to 1 ticket. But I like the top 20 call that you have. And I like that you found 100 to 1. I've only seen 80 to 1. And one of the reasons why I'm not going to give out outrights today for this tournament is because I want to be – a man of the people. I don't want to say, oh, I, I found this guy at 120 to one on open and now he's at 75 because I've seen a lot of movement in that direction this week and don't want to give out a play that the people can't find this week. We'll get into that in a moment. Guys, want to do a quick course preview of Port Royal Golf Course this week? Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, give us a little something. So it's 6,828 yards, par 71 Bermuda greens. I think there are a few nuances worth mentioning when it comes to Port Royal that go past the obvious of this being the second shortest venue on the PGA Tour. Some of the negative traits we can save till the end, because let's try to, I guess, internalize what's being asked of the field before we talk about the unquantifiable commodities. But Port Royal Golf Course's position on the Atlantic Ocean coastline and experiences a lot of the volatility that you might expect because of poor weather. I'm curious to hear your guys' answers to this because I know it's going to be different than what I'm going to say, but I'm not going to get overly concerned with pinpointing specific tee times because of the erratic nature of the wind when you do play near water. That's honestly probably more of a daily DFS answer than anything else since we're talking about steady breezes on a coastal course, but I did weigh wind a single time in my model for 15% of the statistical analysis. You won't see me go much higher than that on a non-European course than what I did there. The track is exceptionally straightforward for the most part, but the layout provides a unique contextual experience when we look at the yardage distribution. Most of the distance is baked into three of the four par threes that range between 213 to 235 yards. And that trio of holes will rank as your three most challenging stops daily because of their 26.1% to 32.5% bogey or worse rate. The dispersion of historical finishes for top 10 producers over the past three seasons has shown that the par threes are the most impactful range to finding high-end success. Uh, that is going to flip when looking at just cut makers. So to me, that suggests earning shots on the par fours or fives are going to probably be what's crucial in making the cut. While being able to separate from the packs on the par threes will give golfers the push they need to win the title. It's one of the reasons I weighted par three in my recalculated fashion for 17.5%. That's another category that was as high as you'll ever see from me on my model. Very quickly, 10 of the 11 par fours play under 450 yards. The sole outlier there breaks that mold at 458. The three par fives are extremely gettable at 507, 517, and 533. If we date back to 2019, we saw the par five seventh account for 17% of points in DFS contests. That was allowing 242 birdies and 25 eagles. And all of that's great, by the way, but the problem that does come into play is when we realize it's another week of no stat tracker, that's the reason why I built my outright card the way that I did from a pre-tournament perspective. I don't plan on going back into this tournament. I know that, like, I'm sure we're going to mention the weather here and you guys will talk about it. I just don't know how I can gain an edge when I don't have stat tracker of how somebody's actually gaining the stats. 
So for me, I'm going to trust my model from a pre-tournament perspective, whether that be on, you know, the Gligich route that I'm taking as the top Canadian or whatever the outrights are that I'm going with. Like, it's going to be very little that I'm going to be able to add with the way that I run my numbers. So I'm kind of stacking the beginning of the card in the outright market. I'm going to go in with that sense. And, you know, if I'm right on some of these plays, I have good value that I can work with on the weekend. If I'm wrong, it's going to be a week where the outright card didn't work out correctly, but that's to me the way that I would rather play it because it is a coastal course with steady breezes. And then, as I said, like the lack of stat tracker is a problem. Yeah. Lack of stat tracker in week this week, lack of stat tracker previously at this tournament. So a little bit less data to go off of Nick, any thoughts on your outright card? Who do you have this week and anything else you're considering? As of now, nothing. I was interested in Russell Knox coming into the, the slate, but then I see 30 to one across the market. That's I think I'm going I'm to I'm sit back and I'm going to wait for the tea times due to this uh, weather concerns that we're seeing here. So I'm going to see if maybe there's a weather edge or something that we can catch early before book moves, but uh, I probably won't bet CT pan. I think top four is as, as low as I'll go with him, but guys that rank very high in my outputs that I think I'd like to find a price discrepancy on is probably Steven Yeager. But again, it's his number so short too right now for a guy like Steven Yeager. And he's not the greatest of iron players right now, but everything else looks good for him. So I also like Yeager this week. Yeah, it's he's, it's the German hammer. One of my favorite golfers right now when (laughs) it's the off season, I should say, and everybody's out, but I know Spencer's probably going to be looking at uh, Patrick Rogers, but what are your guys thoughts on Joseph Bramlett? My model seems to have him at 40 to one and there's, you know, significant value across the market there, but I think I would rather hold off and wait for the tee times. Maybe he gets a good wave. Yeah. I, I've seen that Bramlett has tons of sharp money hitting him in the market. So I'm sure that that's what you're alluding to there, Nick. I, I don't know. Like it's something that I'll, I'll look into. I, I built a card, which it did start with Patrick Rogers at the top. <laughs> we can get into him in a second. I mean, there's two players. The other one's not going to come as a shock to you either. I feel like those are the two guys that I am on every single week, but I'll let Roberto answer the question about Bramlett first. Bramlett's interesting because he's strong around the green. The driving accuracy gives me some hesitation. The last tournament he played in the Shriners, he was absolutely terrible in driving accuracy and the putting isn't great either. So I'm a little bit hesitant to, to bet on him, but I'd like to hear more about what you guys think on the part three, part five scoring for him. Part five scoring for me, that's it. That's what shot him up is I did wait around the green very heavily obviously that helps a lot but i did weigh um accuracy pretty high too but he ranked inside the top 35 and expected par three scoring and inside the top eight for par five scoring and i believe spencer's model looking at it right now as we're on the show he's got him right at eight too so i I don't know like if i can get like a 75 80 to one which i think is probably still out there but again for me it all depends on the on the tee times form but it's not a guy I'm, i'm jumping over you know jumping over the fence to try to bet right now it's just I really don't have a ton of value, and he was one that really stuck out there. Like Spencer said, I think these books are kind of defending themselves pretty well because no one knows who's going to win. I don't, I don't think there's a true favorite in this tournament. My model has Mark Hubbard, number one, and Thomas Detry, number two. I think Spencer's is pretty close. Every book's going to have Denny as the favorite, but I, I don't know. It's just a weird, weird event, and there's so much weather concerns that I don't think there's really a ton of value in betting anybody right now. The, the thing that I like about Bramlett, so when I look at the weighted proximity, so that's just taking, and by the way, like we don't know exactly where all these approach shots are coming from because of the lack of stat tracker, but it's me trying to re-mimic this as much as I can from like the perceived ranges where, that I think players will be. He's 19th for weighted proximity. That's compared to 65th overall at a normal track. 
that's a really big increase for a golfer if you are looking for upside. He's 11th in ball striking. As Nick said, he's eighth for me in par five scoring, and he's also 11 spots better in weighted par three scoring. I don't know if I think he's actually going to win the tournament, but like the, when you say that, somebody has to win. Like one of these guys has to be the winner. And that's kind of the mentality that I took with my outright card is I know these numbers look gross on the surface, but you know, we're building a card and you could make an argument that, you know, like, I guess like the favorite for me would be Alex Smalley. I had proper at 22 to one. So if we just want to like play it safe and give like a standard number, I mean, it's about a 5% win equity percentage that my model is producing. So like at 30, 35 to one, depending on what you can find in the space, I'm going to have value on him. But I understand like in the same breath, nobody's rushing to bet Alex Smalley in the 30 to one range. I am going to take that route because I'm trusting my numbers, but you kind of have to plug your nose on some of these bets if you are making an outright ticket. And you just have to hope that your numbers are right at the end of the day. An indication of the, of the sharp money coming in on Bramlett. I can't find any matchups or even three person matchups for him on legal books right now. So check back maybe in a day we're recording this on Tuesday night. Maybe there'll be something else there that you can bet on. Spencer, why don't you tell us more about your outright card? Sure. So I have, what is that? Three, four, five, six. I have seven outright bets this week. So Patrick Rogers, 30 to one. Rogers is an option that my model has continued to like over these past few weeks. And then the recent progression of a 16th at the Zozo and a 28th at the Shriners has shown growth that he will look to build from at the Bermuda Championship. The approach numbers are always somewhat worrisome, but I think he's a golfer that will be able to use his length to his advantage. The vast majority of shots come from under 150 yards or over 200 yards, which should enhance his upside since his driving distance will give him shorter approach shots than an average competitor on these par four holes. While the lengthier chances always tend to be where he finds his best success, that's evidenced by him grading inside the top 25 for par three and par five metrics when I recalculated the numbers. I took Alex Smalley at 34 to one. As I said, he is the favorite in my model at 22 to one. I have been a big advocate over these past few months at the first time Smalley draws either a par 70 layout or a track with reduced expectation and par five scoring. That's the one that it lands under this week. We might see him enter the winner's circle for the first time in his career. He ranks eighth in total driving geared toward accuracy and 12th in weighted proximity, making him one of only six golfers to land inside the top 15 for those two categories. I ended up betting on every player that fit that threshold other than Thomas Dietrich, but there are a ton of values down the board if we believe those two qualifiers matter. And for the record, the next four choices will be the names that fit that criteria, but I'll start with Eric Van Royen, 66 to 1. Van Royen ranks 5th in weighted proximity and 13th in total driving. I think some of that projected long iron play will help him continue the par five trajectory that places him seventh in this field. And we see him rank third over his past 50 rounds in stroke game total on short courses. To be fair, I don't know how much I trust him over four days in blustery conditions, but I wouldn't be shocked if he puts himself on the first page of the leaderboard with a chance heading into Sunday at that 66 to one number. Talked a lot about Michael Gligich this week. I took him at 80 to one. The current metrics are surging. We see with him placing at least 25 spots better than his baseline output in every strokes game category other than around the green play over his past 24 rounds. The ball striking plus weighted proximity. I mentioned that he's number one in the field there. The high-end marks in my model are probably lacking a little bit if we remove the weight, but it doesn't take much for him to start reaching that upside. I grabbed Kevin Yu at 100 to one. I'm still okay playing it at 80 to one. I guess that number's moved in this space. That was at bet 365 at the time. 
I took Austin Smotherman 110 to one on bet 365. So Gligich was number one in my recalculated ball striking plus weighted proximity creation. Smotherman is second there. We know the putter can get him into some trouble, but I like the price of a golfer that just as quickly could have been 60 to one in this field. And then I wrapped it up with MJ Duffy, 110 to one bet 365. He's second in weighted par four proximity, 10th in overall proximity. I think the distance can help Duffy in a similar fashion that we'll see with Van Royen. We're a few yards more off the tee. are going to have some shorter approach numbers coming in. That's going to create some more accessible chances at a venue where it is going to be riddled with win. We know that that's going to be a problem. And at the end of the day, that's 0.93 units on those seven plays. It's going to be to win about eight on everybody. And as I said, the lack of stat tracker is just making me put my card out right now the way that it is. Yeah, it sounds gross when you're betting Rogers and Small at those numbers, but I don't know. I mean, if my model is going to say Smalley has about a 5% win equity, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to say it's value. I like some of those guys. Short story. Since the beginning of 2021 in the football season, as your local Austin, Texas resident who is a Stanford fan, I went to eight Stanford and Texas games. They went 0-8. Until this last Saturday, I saw the Cardinal win on the farm. Thankfully, uh, the ASU receiver's toe is way too big, and he stepped out of bounds. We won the game. We reversed the curse, which means the floodgates are now open. Patrick Rogers, your Cardinal, if it's going to happen, the floodgates are open this week. Hopefully, we can bring some of that good juju for you guys. Also, big Austin Smotherman fan as an alumni of the first tee myself, first tee of Greater Austin. I think he's first tee of Greater Dallas. I don't have any outright picks this week. I'm going to be watching the weather, trying to see if I can find an edge live. There's a wave of golfers that might be eliminated. Or if we figure that out with more certainty tomorrow night, I'll look to put put in some more bets on players to miss the cut. Looking for a little bit more certainty before I touch the outright card. Nick, any other thoughts on Spencer's card? Can't say I'm not surprised. I look at his model when he releases <laughs> it, and I know exactly where he's going based on the the players I know he likes. But yeah, I mean, I I, I do like the uh, the Smalley play. I think that he's a great course fit overall. Rogers, I. I I'll probably just play him in DFS. I think I'm going to set that outright ticket out, but I'm behind the Alex Smalley play for sure. I think one of those two guys win this golf tournament for whatever it's worth. And I know there are some problems with Rogers's proximity numbers if you want to look into that. But if you want to talk about sharp movement, he is experiencing all sorts of sharp movement at this point. Like he might be the number one sharp mover that I've seen in the market. Let's look at some matchups. And I, I want to workshop a matchup play here with you guys. I want to fade Seamus Power. He's someone whom we have discussed at length on the podcast over the last month, and he has been absolutely horrendous with his irons. He is the top-ranked player as far as the official world golf rankings go in this field, and I'm considering two bets. The first one, Denny McCarthy, minus 126 to beat him over the tournament, and I'm also considering SH Kim at plus 100 to beat Power. You guys, any thoughts on those two bets or which one you might prefer? I probably I like prefer the McCarthy one just because I think that his safety is probably a little bit better. Like my model liked SH Kim, but it's also such limited data that I don't know how much I trust it. And Seamus is going to be an extremely volatile option this week. If he does well, it would not shock me. But as you alluded to, the iron play is horrible. He lost, I don't have it in front of me right now, like seven and a half shots. Yeah. last weekend. And it was like, that's what I kept picking on over and over again. And I do think this is a good course setup for him. The one thing that I'll note is anytime that he gets a shorter course, I think it helps some of those problems that he can run into. But like, 
I'm not going to find many ways to bet Denny McCarthy. I, I think any route that you take is going to have to be either a head-to-head or something that goes along like safety for DFS contests, whether that be like cash games or something. But I would probably pick the McCarthy one over the two if you made me choose. What about you, Nick? Uh, yeah, I'll side with you there. I think those are both tough. But yeah, I think I'd go with McCarthy. It's just safer. I don't love the bets with the minus in front of them, but I'll play McCarthy over power at minus 126 for 0.2 units. I'll play it relatively small. Guys, any other matchups you guys are eyeing out there? Not for me. Like, I like the Gligatrout of being top Canadian if you want to call that a matchup in a weird way in like a three-way type matchup. But no, I, I didn't see a ton of value in this market. Like, it's one of those problems where books are being very cautious and anytime that you run into these spots where you can even see it with the matchups and you know i'm running my model to try to like get away from some of that i don't know if books got sharper this week or they're just trying to make sure that there's nothing out there like it's the least amount of value i've seen on a head-to-head card in a really long time in a tournament with a cut wow nick any matchup bets for you this week nothing at the moment i'm gonna wait for the tea time draw i think before i move on anything else other than ct pan all right, let's keep it rolling to some place bets. I mentioned my Kevin U top 20 at plus 333. Any others you guys would like to add on? I'll add one to it. So I took Ben Taylor top 40 at plus 160. It's kind of a similar thing with SH Kim where I don't know how much I trust my numbers on Taylor just because of the lack of data that I do have. But 25th overall in my model, he grades closer to a guy that should have been roughly plus 120 if we're getting technical with where the number is. It's going to be more number grab than anything, but my model doesn't have much of a difference between Taylor and Kevin Yu. That's another guy that fits into it. I like Kevin Yu. So if I like Kevin Yu, I probably am going to like Ben Taylor based off of that. But you can find a 35 point edge in this top 40 market. If you look at it that way, that's always intriguing to me when we get these sort of discrepancies. Taylor ranks seventh in GIR percentages is also inside the top 15 for par five scoring. That's a category that should make it easier for him to make the cut. So if I believe he's going to score on the par fives and get himself into the weekend, all of a sudden that top 40 becomes a lot more doable at plus 160. That's going to be it for me though, in this sector, we'll see if anything else shifts over the next few days. But like I keep saying, there's just not a ton of value on this card. Maybe you could push a Gligich ticket. I do like the CT pan call from Nick. I considered that also, but you know, a lot of these bets that I find to have value are these like plus 110, plus 120 type plays that are very on the edge there to where like technically you have enough value, but it's such a volatile tournament with win that I don't know how much I want to get stuck into some of these like mindsets. Nick, any place bets for you this week? Just CT Pan plus 125 top 40. That is my favorite bet of the week. I think that's probably where I'll be most exposed right now. Let's keep it rolling to any exotic bets. I'll get us started. One bet I've got is the winner to not be in the final group of the final round. Doing that at plus plus 175, it's available on multiple books. We've mentioned that weather could play a factor this week, and Sunday looks like the worst day for weather, potentially. So I like that. If you remember last year, Taylor Pendrith, guy who really popped at the end of the season, had a three-stroke lead going into the final round, and he finished three strokes back. Some guys who may not be as proficient in the wind might have some problems also it's a tournament without a lot of guys who have win equity on the tour and that pressure being in a spot which could change your life could get to some of these guys instead of betting on them i'll bet against them and i've also got one more one of these exotic bets i've got a miss the cut bet on a guy that we like to back here on this podcast callum Taran. i found him at plus 180 looking at him just like the winner not in the final group at 0.25 units 
he's been boomer bust. So either a top 27 or a miscut over the last few months, doesn't have great course history, had a really poor showing and actually DQ'd in his only prior start. And then some other courses that are like coastal courses, looking at like Pebble Beach, Cross Punta Cana, a couple of, a pair of miscuts on those courses. He's also not great off the tee as far as driving accuracy, 183rd and driving accuracy last season, lost strokes around the green in all three starts this fall. 183rd this year on par five birdie or better percentage outside the top 100 last year, also outside the top 150 in par three scoring this year and last year. So I think Calum Taren, I'm leaning toward the bus this week and I'll take him at plus 180 to miss the cut. My model like Calum Taren a little bit. Now I say that with under the pretense of I do incorporate some movements into my model as the week goes on. I try to run numbers with some of that. Callum Terran is going in reverse at a rapid pace at this point. So I think there's a lot of influential money that probably agrees with you there. Like he started for me 15th overall. And the more that I started incorporating some of this data in, like he's outside the top 30 for me now. So, you know, we're going to have to get a little bit deeper than that for him to miss the cup. But as you said, it's a boomer bust route with him. I don't think it's a bad stance to take. It's a very volatile tournament. And I kind of like the mentality that you're taking that the winner will not come from the final group. The one thing I'll say to that is, let me bring this up very quickly. So as I'm doing that, we've seen at least historically or recently, the winners continue to come from this final group. So this, I'm missing a couple tournaments here, but I'm just going to rattle off where the player was going into the third round that ended up winning the tournament over the past, I don't know what this would be, 10, 12 tournaments. First, 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 Third, third, first, third, first, second, second, first, second, first. So we have gotten a lot of winners that are coming from that final group. I think the one difference here of why I like the bet, I think it's going to be a jumbled up leaderboard. And I think weather is going to ravage this tournament at the end of the day. And I would not be shocked if on Sunday, there is a weather advantage that takes place where all of that that I just said, because I'm always a really big advocate that you have to be on a certain spot on the leaderboard. And usually that's like, either within five shots or inside the top 10 to win a tournament. This might be the tournament where somebody can go off in the morning on Sunday. They post a number, weather takes everybody on the back end out of the tournament. And all of a sudden a guy who was 20th entering the day or even deeper than that ends up winning. So weather is the one big decider of this event. And I like getting a plus number on it when you can take that route that weather could very well like wipe everybody out at the very end of the day. And Spencer, one counter to your point on where recent winners have started the last round. A lot of the lesser fields we've seen in the last few months have featured a couple players that are top tier players who played in the Ryder Cup or the President's Cup. You had like a Max Homa at the Fortinet. You had a Tony Finau at 3M. You've got these guys who were at the top of the field playing elite golf and there isn't really an elite golfer in this field for my money. So that's just another way for me to fade kind of the top this week. Guys, any other exotic bets you have this week? Not for me. All right. One reminder, the Links and Locks podcast is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer in New Jersey and Colorado. Bet $1 on any game, get $200 free. Guys, any final thoughts you want to share with the audience before we wrap up? No, not, not really. I mean, like we kind of keep saying the same thing at the end here all the time, but 
these boards will get better at some point. Like we're kind of still rushing into, I, I consider this preseason at the end of the day. When you look at this field, there's just not much there. And I like the tournament as it is. Like usually these events where it is a weaker field from top to bottom is where I can find an advantage. The two reasons why that can't come into play is one, because we don't have stat tracker. And then the other problem that at least is going to be a problem for the next little bit is we don't have enough information on some of these corn fairy kids. Like I have enough to where it's telling me Kevin, Yu is a good golfer. It's telling me some of these other guys are, it would not shock me. I've seen this happen like over the last few years, like I'll give you a really good example of this. And I guess we're seeing it somewhat with at least when the year started. So I believe two years ago, Justin saw when he started his PGA tour career, he was like number one, no matter how I ran my model. And I didn't do enough adjustment on the back end to where like my model, no matter what it spat out, thought he was going to win every single event. And, you know, I'm more aware now of like, let's pull it back and let's rein it in and let's regress some of the data that Justin Sai is not as good as the numbers are saying. And, you know, we'll see about some of these guys, like maybe Kevin, you continues what he's doing, but there's going to be some sort of regression that's going to take place. So at least be aware of that with the corn fairy prospects at this point to where if you're running numbers on them, you're running it through a limited sample size. And anytime that you do that, that is where the biggest egregious mistakes can come into play because we don't know what they are. And that's why it's like I said with Kevin, you give me the upside at least like, don't give me the safety because the numbers might not be right. I'll trust the numbers at a hundred or 80 to one that he's going to win the tournament or plus 300 and something that he's going to come top 20. But you know, I don't want to be involved in the head to head bet if all of a sudden these numbers go south with it. So that's kind of what I'm going to be doing for the next couple of weeks with these kids, at least until we figure out a little bit more with it. But like right now in my model, I think I have 10% weight uh, for the current year, which might be a little bit too much at the end of the day to begin with. But the unfortunate part is when you have nothing that's weighing from 2000, I, well, I'll call it 2022, which would be last year. We'll call this 2023. When you have nothing weighing from last year, everything that's coming in from this year is going to just so be so overbearing for some of these players. Nick, any other thoughts on how you're going to approach this tournament or any in-tournament bets? No, honestly not. I am not excited to, to watch this one at all. But again, everything I do is probably going to be weather dependent, waiting on the tee times. But Sometimes my best bet is no bet at all. And I just, I don't know, this, this tournament's gross. I'm not gonna, not gonna lie to you guys here. So I'm just going to be rooting on CT pan and maybe wait for something live. But again, without stat tracker, it's going to be tough to do that with an educated way to, to do so. I should say. Totally agree. Sometimes the best bet is no bet at all. Don't want to force anything. And we'll never try to force anything here on this podcast. That'll do it for us today on Links and locks for more great golf content from our Action Network and Golf Bet team. Check out the Best Bets episode from earlier this week featuring Golf Bet's Jason Sobel and PJ Tours' Ben Everill as they quickly run down their top plays for this week's tournament. Guys, tell me where we can find you guys before the next podcast, next Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, depending on where you are. Where can we find some of you guys' work? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at T off sports. I provide a lot of content throughout the week, whether you're looking for DFS or Bing, all those other articles go up at Rotoballer. And then I also do a secondary podcast for win daily. We call it the PGA draft cast. That's with C and Najad and Joel Shrek. We run through the board where you can come compete against us. I do the show with Nick better golf podcast. We run through some of our bets you know, that we don't mention on this show. We try to talk about things from a DFS perspective that we don't mention on here, but I'll let you go, Nick, where they, everybody can follow you. 
Yeah, at Better Golf Pod and then at Sticks Picks, S-T-I-X-P-I-C-K-S. This is mainly NFL season for me, so it is fun to kind of break away from that and talk a little golf on Tuesday, but I was significantly more excited for the the CJ Cup last week with a good field, but um, we'll see what happens. It should be a fun DFS week at least. There's going to be a lot of spread out ownership, so I think you can find a lot of fun different ways to make some lineups this week as well. That'll do it for us here on Links and Locks. Thanks to Nick and Spencer for coming on the show and giving out their winners as we do each week you can find us every week here on links and locks on your course previews thanks to everyone who makes this podcast possible especially our producers noah sophia and matt that'll do it for us we'll find you guys here next week here's to hoping all your bets hit the green